At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, January 21st, 2023. It's been 3,251 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 332 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russia's shift in tactics is starting to tip the battlefield initiative in its favor, but is being achieved through unsustainable losses. Second, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin will continue. Third, We maintain the ongoing information warfare between the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, and PMC Wagner is a byproduct of the strife within the Kremlin. Fourth, we maintain that the current winner of the ongoing infighting between factions loyal to Shoigu versus Prigozhin is Russian President Vladimir Putin, who's shifted negative attention back to the Ministry of Defense. Fifth, We assess a very high risk of punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure on January 21st, with the threat continuing past the weekend. Sixth, we further assess that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Eighth, we assess that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and has resorted to using World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Ninth, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. And finally, We maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. Let's get some regional updates, 
starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. Fighting remained positional in Luhansk, with Ukrainian forces holding most of their advance from a week ago against a Russian counterattack. On the Svatova axis, Ukrainian forces are mounting an offensive on Kuzimivka from Novoselivske. A breakthrough at Kuzimivka would provide Ukraine with high ground for artillery and further offensive operations. On the Kremina axis, there are only generic reports of positional fighting. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and mercenaries with Rybar reported Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka were shelled throughout the day. For the second day in a row, the GSAFU reported that Kholikova, east of Chervonopopivka, was shelled. There were only positional fighting and artillery battles near Kremina, Dibrova, and in the Serebriansky forest, south of Kremina. Serhi Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian forces were bringing in additional reserves, but there have been issues. We'll talk about that more in the Russian mobilization segment. In breaking news at the time of recording, there were reports of a significant Ukrainian offensive on Kremina with, quote, heavy battles ongoing. There were multiple reports of Russian forces heavily shelling the western part of the settlement. On the Lysychansk axis, Russian forces continued their attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, without success. We did make a small correction to the line of conflict north of the settlement, which does not represent a change in territorial control. In northeast Donetsk, on the Siversk axis, Russian forces continued their attempts to push into Verknokamyanskia and Spirna with no change in the situation. A Ukrainian source reported that fighting continued in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Vesele from Yakovlivka. On the Solidar axis, Ukrainian forces remain under significant pressure to hold their current lines of defense, potentially making minor gains west of Solidar while losing ground to the north. A Ukrainian source reported continued attempts by Russian forces to advance on Rostolivka from Yakovlivka. The GSAFU reported that the Russian attack on Krasnopolivka was repelled, but our analyst team is skeptical and believes the hamlet is contested or fully occupied by PMC Wagner. While Russian sources maintain Solidar has been brought completely under their control, there were reports from the GSAFU and anecdotal evidence that fighting on the western edges of the town and within Seal continues. A geolocated video showed a PMC Wagner ammunition depot and forward operating base destroyed by Ukrainian artillery fire. You will need a Telegram account to watch the video, but we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Southwest of Solidar, Russian forces continued to press Ukrainian defenses in Krasnohora and attempted to advance on Blachodatne. The situation remains very fluid, but has stabilized after PMC Wagner made marginal gains north of Krasnohora on January 19th. On the Bakhmut axis, fighting continued on the eastern and southern edges of the city. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack on Parasovyevka was repelled, and there were no reports of new gains by Russian sources. South of Bakhmut, there is growing uncertainty if PMC Wagner has captured Klishaivka. No pictures or videos have been published almost two days after the claim was made. The Russian MOD once again minimized PMC Wagner's contribution to the offensive, declaring the settlement was captured by, quote, volunteers of assault detachments, 
with fire support from operational tactical and Army aviation, missile troops and artillery of the Southern Military District, end quote. We did not change the map, but the lack of visual evidence calls the veracity of the claims into question. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled advances on Ivanivske and the Lievka. There weren't any claims of wide-scale fighting by any source. If PMC Wagner or Russian troops advanced to Ivanivske, Ukraine's ability to maintain ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, in Tabakhmut, will become challenging. We expanded the area of uncertainty toward both settlements, but did not move the line of conflict. Our assessment yesterday was correct that the Russian attack that was repelled near Oleksandro Shultine was a DRG or reconnaissance unit and not a larger advance. Russian forces continued punitive strikes on Kramatorsk, attacking the city with three S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. One person died from their injuries after apartment buildings, a medical facility, and two schools were hit. In southwest Donetsk on the Avdiivka axis, there weren't any significant changes. Elements of the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, engaged in positional fighting near Vodyana. A geolocated video showed Ukrainian forces firing on DNR separatists in Pisky from Pervomaiske with a 30mm autocannon. Based on the video, we moved the contested area further west. On the Marinka axis, intense fighting continued east of Krasnohorivka, with DNR separatists attempting to sever one of the GLOCs into Marinka. A video released by the People's Militia of the DNR showed a Russian tank firing on Ukrainian positions in Marinka. Geolocation confirmed that the line of conflict hasn't changed since November 24th, and the claims that Ukrainian troops have been pushed to the western outskirts are simply false. A second video showed what is likely the same T-90M tank operating in eastern Marinka and firing blind at the rubble. The GSAFU and multiple Russian sources reported continued fighting. Quick sidebar, I love when Russia releases those see-how-good-we-are-at-war videos that end up exposing their own disinformation campaigns. That's like one of my favorite genres of film. The GSAFU also reported that attacks on Pobida were repulsed. On the Velika-Novosilka axis, a Russian attempt to advance toward Novosilka was unsuccessful. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, a car bomb exploded in the central market area. There was no information on damage or casualties at the time of recording. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with Free Ukraine shelled 36 times, including 11 strikes on the city of Kherson, wounding two people. In the Bereslav rayon, two people were wounded by Russian shelling, including a 15-year-old who lost their leg. In occupied Kherson, Kahovka was shelled. Vladimir Rogov, a pro-Russian Ukrainian collaborator and member of the Russian-appointed council over Zaporizhia, made unsupported claims of a major offensive on the Zaporizhia axis. The claims were repeated by several Russian mill bloggers, while other nationalists questioned the veracity of Rogov's claims. Assessment here? Our team spent extensive time trying to validate Rogov's claims, but could only find visual confirmation of marginal gains in one location 
and two videos showing Russian troops being annihilated during failed advances. On the Juliapola axis, mercenaries with Rybar claimed Russian forces advanced to, quote, more strategic positions near Malinivka, while a geolocated video showed the Russian attack failed after suffering significant losses from drone-directed artillery fire. Rybar reported fighting for control of Dorozhnyanka based on Rogov's claims and with no other evidence. We expanded the area of uncertainty but did not move the line of conflict. On the Orikhiv axis, the GSAFU reported a Russian attack on Malatokmachka was unsuccessful. The Russian MOD reported the settlement was shelled, while Rybar claimed it was partially captured, and mercenaries with Wargonzo reported continued fighting. We expanded the area of uncertainty into the eastern part of the settlement. Rogov claimed that Novodanilivka was captured without evidence. In our assessment, we believe this claim is false. The GSAFU reported that Russian attacks on Mali Shirbaki and Stepova were unsuccessful, while Wargonzo claimed that Stepova was captured. In yesterday's full situation report, we linked to a video of elements of the Russian 58th Combined Arms Army, or CAA, attempting to advance on Stepova through a minefield with no armor support, which ended with heavy losses. PMC Wagner's social media channels condemned the commanders of the 58th CAA for the tactics used in the attack, writing that whomever planned it should be, quote, castrated. The Russian MOD claimed that the settlement of Lobkova was captured, which left the analyst community scratching their heads. We coded Lobkova under Russian control in March 2022. We didn't make any changes to the map because there was nothing to change. Some of the same Russian mill bloggers who claimed a major Ukrainian offensive was coming in this direction are now claiming that Ukrainian defenses were weak. There's no evidence that Ukraine moved troops from the Axis to Bakhmut or other regions, and the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense Intelligence Agency assessed that a significant Ukrainian force remains in the area. Oleksandr Staruk, Zaporizhia Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian forces completed 166 fire missions on 21 communities. Assessment here. When Ukraine started its major offensive in Kherson, it completed more than 530 fire missions to set conditions and almost 440 on the first day of offensive operations. On January 19th, Russian forces fired 224 mortars, shells, and rockets along the Zaporizhia axis. In the short term, this does not look like a wide-scale offensive. The UK Defense Intelligence Agency described the fighting as, quote, skirmishes and the axis deadlocked. We are highly suspicious of single-source claims, especially from ultranationalists like Rogov. Our final assessment is based heavily on a gut feeling due to limited visual evidence and no acknowledgement from local officials. For example, we believe if Russian forces had captured Novodanilivka, Zaporizhia Governor Staruk would be making a public appeal for civilians to evacuate Orekhiv, Malatokmachka, and Preobrazhenka. Enerhoatsom reported that none of the reactors at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant could be brought back into low-power mode because of acute staffing shortages at the plant. Rosatom is continuing recruiting efforts for engineers and technicians in Russia, which isn't attracting many takers. I can't imagine why not. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, 
reported two explosions near ZNPP that did not impact plant operations. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi hinted that negotiations to create a green zone around the plant and have Russian troops withdraw are no longer progressing. He said, quote, Everybody agrees that the plant, located on the front line in an active combat area, needs to be protected. But these are very complex negotiations. I will not stop until the much-needed zone is a reality. I will continue my intensive consultations with both Ukraine and the Russian Federation in the coming days and weeks. End quote. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the composition of the Black Sea fleet is unchanged, with 11 ships on patrol, including six missile carriers capable of launching up to 40 caliber cruise missiles. Natalia Khomenyuk, Director of Communications for Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that the ships had moved to their launch positions at the time of recording. Due to stormy weather, an anti-ship sea mine washed ashore on an Odessa beach. Explosive ordnance disposal technicians were evaluating the situation. The electrical grid is severely damaged in Odessa, with DTEK reporting only having enough capacity to meet 30 to 40 percent of needs. It requires 25 percent of pre-damage capacity to maintain critical infrastructure, such as drinking water, sewage processing, communications, heat, hospitals, and trains, leaving little margin for future attacks. In north and northeast Ukraine, Kupyansk was hit by another Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack. The rocket landed near a school, causing significant damage. On the Russian front, after almost a year of war, the mood of Russians on the Ukrainian border is starting to sour. In Bilgorod, residents have started surrounding their homes and businesses with sandbags and building bunkers in their basements. In the city, signs pointing to community bomb shelters have started to appear. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian officials said they were, quote, satisfied with the outcome of the eighth meeting of the Rammstein Working Group on January 20th. Military representatives from almost 50 nations and Ukrainian officials said that not all military aid commitments were made public. Boris Pistorius, the federal minister of defense of Germany, said that Western allies did not agree on providing Ukraine with Leopard 2 main battle tanks, but he instructed the ministry to prepare for, quote, the day that may come, end quote. An agreement that was reached was to immediately start the training of Ukrainian troops in operation and maintenance of German tanks, accelerating any future deployments. Ukrainian troops will also start training on the British Challenger 2 NBT in the coming days. Ukrainian officials believe that training for command, maintenance, gunnery, and operation can be completed in six weeks. In our assessment, that's very optimistic. Protests broke out in Berlin and outside the German embassies of several nations, demanding that Olaf Scholz, quote, free the leopards. The Ministry of Defense of the Czech Republic released a statement denying rumors that the nation would transfer recently delivered Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine instead of T-72s. 
The statement reads, quote, Foreign media have reported that the Czech Republic and Slovakia were allegedly ready to give up Leopard 2 tanks in favor of Ukraine. This information is not true. No one has asked or proposed that the Czech Republic send the tanks, which, according to a previous agreement, it will receive from Germany as compensation for aid to Ukraine. End quote. Lithuanian publication Delphi reported that United States Ambassador to the OSCE Michael Carpenter said he expected, quote, broad support in the United States to provide Ukraine with F-16 fighter aircraft, which Denmark indicated they were prepared to do on January 19th. The 2023 omnibus United States budget included $100 million to train Ukrainians in operation and maintenance of F-16 aircraft. There were reports in the summer of 2022 that unofficial flight training in military simulators had already started on the F-16, F-15 Strike Eagle multi-role fighter and the A-10 ground attack aircraft. In an indication that the Russian Ministry of Defense is nervous about the momentum to provide Ukraine with modern fourth-generation fighters, a massive disinformation campaign on social media started just minutes after the story broke of the potential U.S. approval. Germany announced a 1 billion euro aid package that includes 500 border protection vehicles, mostly desperately needed trucks, 40 Martyr Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, 7 additional Gepard Mobile short-range anti-aircraft vehicles, and 1 Iris-T medium-range anti-aircraft battery. Canada announced that it had purchased a NASM air defense system on behalf of Ukraine. Assistant Secretary of the Security Council of Russia, Lieutenant General Alexei Pavlov, former FSB, was dismissed by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Pavlov was the author of the October paper The Witch's Cauldron, which called for the, quote, de-Satanization of Ukraine. The paper was initially embraced by the Kremlin and the Russian Orthodox Church, but it created a firestorm out of sight to the West. In a matter of days, the Kremlin talking points of a war against Satanism and the LGBTQ community returned to denazification. Pavlov claimed Ukrainian satanic roots came from Lubavitcher Hasidim and the Jewish Shabbat faith. The paper was considered offensively anti-Semitic, even by the Russian audience, and was condemned by the chief rabbi of Russia, Beryl Lazar. Security Council Secretary Nikolai Patrushev apologized, dismissing Pavlov's erroneous words about Lubavitcher Hasidim and the Jewish Shabbat religion in Ukraine, saying, quote, I apologize to the readers of the publication and would like to note that this interpretation reflects the personal point of view of A.A. A. Pavlov and is by no means the official position of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, end quote. Amazingly, and yet also unsurprisingly, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov still has a job. Speaking of still having a job, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The Russian Ministry of Defense denied that a change had been made to provide mobilization deferments to fathers of disabled children or adult men who are the only living relative of a single parent who is a pensioner. The head of the State Duma Committee on Defense said, quote, I did not tell the head of the Committee on Family, Women, and Children, Nina Ostanina, about the Ministry of Defense's support for a deferment for fathers of disabled children. End quote. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov denied that additional mobilization was coming, telling reporters, quote, We are guided by what the president said. 
as part of the partial mobilization, the number that was planned to be mobilized was provided, and then the usual call for military service began. The president spoke about this several times, and we suggest focusing on this. End quote. While claiming mobilization was done, pictures emerged of approximately 25 men standing outside of the commissariat office in Russian-occupied Sevastopol because they had received mobilization notifications. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, has started forced mobilization in Alchevsk, conscripting employees of the Ministry of Emergency Situations. The Ministry of Emergency Situations includes firefighters, emergency medical technicians, utility repairs, and resources to aid civilians during disaster and war. I anticipate this going very well. The Ministry of Information of the DNR appealed to journalists and mill bloggers to maintain operational security and not help, quote, the enemy. This is an ironic request, as we have repeatedly documented that the First Army Corps and the Ministry of Emergency Situations for the DNR do an absolutely incredible job of ignoring operational security. The Kremlin is attempting to tighten its grip on the information space. Roskomnadzor recognized Telegram as a foreign messenger, and as a result, beginning March 1st, the ability to transfer payment information through the social media app will be limited. This includes a ban on integrating donations and subscriptions to the Messenger app. This is not being well received by Russian organizations that collect donations to buy basic military equipment for volunteers and mobics. Russian mill blogger Vladlin Tatarsky wrote another blistering piece questioning Russian mobilization and revealing major supply problems. Tatarsky questioned why new units were formed with artillery divisions that had no artillery pieces, mobile infantry brigades with only one truck, tank divisions with no tanks, and light infantry units deployed with only assault weapons. He also called out the creation of new units comprised only of MOBIX across the entire command structure, instead of integrating MOBIX into existing units with experienced troops. In Starobilsk, Russian troops got hold of some homemade vodka to celebrate the Orthodox calendar New Year. The alcohol was either poisoned or poorly made and contained excess amounts of methyl alcohol. Thirty are hospitalized with reports that several have died. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. A meeting was held in Moscow between the Deputy Minister of Defense of the Russian Federation, Colonel General Alexander Fomin, and the President of the International Committee of the Red Cross, Mirjana Spolyarik. The Russian Ministry of Defense wrote a brief statement declaring, quote, the parties discussed the most pressing issues of cooperation between the Russian Defense Ministry and the ICRC in the Ukrainian direction, including compliance with international humanitarian law, the treatment of prisoners of war, and the search for missing persons. End quote. Ridovka propagandist Anastasia Yelsukova of Luhansk was badly wounded in Seal near the railroad station when the PMC Wagner unit she was embedded with came under artillery fire. She received a severe wound to her knee, which was described as crushed, and shrapnel wounds to her hip. 
A video showed her conscious and talking while being treated shortly after she was hit by shrapnel. Yelsukova underwent surgery in Luhansk before being transferred to Rostov-on-Don for a second surgery, before being transferred again to Moscow on a VIP aircraft. Yelsukova was on the front lines in an area of intense fighting and wearing a military uniform at the time of the artillery strike. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon, just in case you want to check them out. In economic news, the ruble closed the week slightly improved, with an exchange rate of 68 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices continued to climb, with WTI crude reaching $82 a barrel and Brent creeping upward to $88. Russian Ural's crude was unchanged at $59 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market closed the week up, reaching $2.65 a gallon or $0.70 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures also ended the week up, reaching 68 euros per megawatt hour for February and March 2023 delivery. Chicago SRW wheat futures ended the week with a price bump as well, reaching $7.43 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.